Remember, a toy hut customer can feel the order ship to every country in the world. A zero movement policy and hand-packed orders are no match for a good blaster at your side, kid. You don't believe in Jet's toy hut, do you? Kid, I've surfed from one side of the internet to the other. I've seen a lot of strange stuff. But I've never seen anything to make me believe in a place that has the largest selection of Star Wars collectibles in stock on Amazon.com and Amazon.co.uk. There's no action figure store that controls my collection's destiny. I suggest you try again, Luke. This time, let go your conscious self and act on instinct. <laughs> With the blast shield down, I can't even see. How am I supposed to order? Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. Oops. Stretch out with your feelings. You see, you can do it. I call it luck. In my experience, there's no such thing as luck. Jet's toy hut are collectors as well, so they know what the customer expects. You know, I did feel something. I could almost see the seven sizes of custom toy hut boxes. That's good. You've taken your first step into a larger collectible world. And you'll get a free vinyl sticker with every order over $25. Toyhut.com All too easy. There's French cooking, and then there's the French cooking. I'm Kevin Leeson. Sorry I was late. I was peeling a nine-year-old off my car's tail fins. I'm Joe Fulgen. After an accident, the most dangerous part of your car is its safety features. I'm Alan Newell. I like my cinnamon buns warmed. But not that warm. I'm Torn Atkinson, and this is Caustic Soda! Bam! Traffic accidents, motor vehicle accidents. Our guest is Alan Newell, returning. Hello. From the Cold War episode and the Burns episode. What are your bona fides? Stole uh, my line. Just completing my 25th year as a firefighter. Yep. Uh, I've worked Canada-wide in that career, so I've had the opportunity to go to motor vehicle accidents in Nova Scotia, Quebec, Manitoba, BC. They look pretty much the same, no matter where you go. <laughs> right so, across yeah. the country? Right across the country. Why are we calling this motor vehicle accidents as opposed to car wrecks? Well, actually, even motor vehicle accidents is starting to kind of dip away as the term motor vehicle incidents is now becoming the, okay. the more accepted dialogue. But motor vehicle accident includes motorcycles, cars, trucks, boats, um, motorhomes, that Helicopters? Sort of thing. No, that would be aircraft crash. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Generally roadborne traffic. Why incident instead of accident? I mean, if it's unintentional, doesn't that by definition make it an accident? That would be the lawyers at work. An incident uh, and an accident. Of course. You can, you can imply guilt. Right. With uh, accidents. See. It, there's also the possibility that your car could have something go wrong with it while it's not even moving. You're sitting at the lights. Someone hits you. You haven't caused an accident. You're in an incident. Okay. okay. So that kind of It thing. could also happen on purpose. Then yeah. it's a motor vehicle intentional. Yeah. Mm. That's a different eye. So the word origin car comes from Latin carum. Or that could bounce off of things. This is particularly uh, appropriate. Carum? Carome? Carome, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. I've never heard that word before. Isn't what? it carom? <laughs> sure. Originally, two-wheeled Celtic war chariot from the root cursos. K-R-S-O-S. That sounds like something I want to eat. Meaning to run. Crusos, yeah. Crusos? Yeah, put that on my pancakes. Ugh, I don't want crusos. <laughs> you should eat it at sea. I assume, I get the impression that crusos would something be, be something that got wiped off of a roadie's back. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's that's just because you play concerts and uh, you know have those people around. That never occurred to me. Automobile, self-propelled motor vehicle, eighteen ninety-five. The modern Greek calls it autokineto, moved of itself. Oh, so like in Greece, you call it an autokineto. I think so. It's oh, so okay. wrong. You still got to press that pedal down for it I to know. move. I <laughs> know. The Google cars are finally showing up to actually be true automobiles. Joe, Joe might be able to check this with the computer here, but I definitely we can. use Greek for automobile. But mm-hmm. if they had used Latin, I'm pretty sure we'd be driving ipsomobiles. 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 That doesn't roll off the tongue like an automobile no, does. It'd be an ipsomatic. I'm, I'm think, oh. I think they, they probably got the marketing department involved. And that's how we ended up with auto instead of Ipso. Do you guys know what the fear of automobiles is? Uh, ah! What? <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. I was going to say good common sense. <laughs> Motorphobia. Okay, well, that makes way more sense. Fear of riding in a car? Ridophobia? Amaxophobia. Amaxa? Amaxo. And fear of accidents? Dystichophobia. D-Y-S-T-Y-C-H. <laughs> Phobia, okay. Dystichophobia. All right. That's fear of the the uh, shift, the gear shift. Dystichophobia. <laughs> yeah, I'm maybe. afraid of dystich. Uh, uh, <laughs> afraid of afraid of being distuck to the windshield. I was thinking checking the oil. The dipstickophobia. The dipstickophobia. Yeah, <laughs> I have a fear of checking oil. Now we're not going to be talking about racing accidents because I think we should have a, a racing episode. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that idea. And we're probably not going to talk about on purposes or what did you call them? Intentionals. <laughs> Intentionals. Intentionals as well. Everything else between one and how many wheels on a semi trailer truck? 18. 18. All right. Between one and 18 wheels. That's game. I'm game for that. There's military vehicles with a lot more than that, though. Oh, I guess. And then tracked vehicles. What if a tank runs into something? Bonk. Oh, we've already done tanks. About 1.3 million people die each year as a result of road traffic crashes. Between 20 to 50 million more people suffer non-fatal injuries. Okay, so this is worldwide. This isn't just yeah. like in the U.S. or anything like that. With many occurring, uh, incurring a disability as a result of their injury. Road traffic injuries are the leading cause of death among young people aged 15 to 29 years. Over 90% of the world's fatalities on the roads occur in low-income and middle-income countries, even though those countries have less than half of the world's vehicles. So higher rate of fatality in the lower income, the second and third world countries. Poor people suck at driving. Yeah, public service announcement, don't be poor. (laughs) It might have something to do with the fact they don't have like eight airbags or something like that. A new Lexus has 11. Yeah, they're driving Lottas. Wow. They're driving Lottas instead of does smart one cars. Come, does one airbag come up from under, under your butt, I hope? Uh, two. One, <laughs> one on either side of your hips to stabilize the driver. Will you, the driver will you be able package. to get out of the car? <laughs> well, you have to cut the seatbelt off because it the, the uh, pretensioner, I'll go into this real quick, explodes to tighten the seatbelt the on explodes? you. There's a device called a pretensioner. We can talk about it. Pretensioner. Uh-huh. And it it's, snaps back the, the seatbelt. Oh, right. Whenever. And tucks you yeah, in. Yeah, but yeah. the problem is... You have difficulty breathing once that happens. So one of the oh. first things the fire department has to do when they get there is cut the seatbelt off, or so it doesn't choke you to death, so you don't suffocate <laughs> in your safety system. How ironic would that be that you're surrounded by all these pillows to keep you from getting hurt in an injury, and you actually are choked to death by your seatbelt? Seat belt. You're like dying inside a giant marshmallow. <laughs> oh, I wish. <laughs> Torn had a dream like that one time, <laughs> and my pillow was gone. Oh. <laughs> what? Those aren't two pillows. <laughs> How long would it take for you to choke to death from a seatbelt? To suffocate? Well, it depends. I mean, if you've 
been in, if you were in a high speed collision mm-hmm. and all the safety gear goes off in a vehicle, we're talking like a Mercedes S Class or a Lexus here, something that's got every safety system. Okay. You you've been fairly safely packaged, but there is a good chance you've got some trauma to your chest from right. seatbelts exploding around you and the the rapid deceleration that. So you could have swelling going on internally in that. So it's hard to say exactly how long it would take you to suffocate. Okay. It would depend on what kind of injuries you had. Right. On top of it, but generally, people with the pretensioners that have snugged up—they're very uncomfortable when we get there, mm-hmm. <laughs> and usually a little disoriented. Right. What's the fastest response one could expect from the fire department? Let's say, what if you crash you, into the fire hall? If you crash into the fire hall, it's virtually instantaneous. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't. Well, we got some forms to fill out first. We'll be there in a couple right. minutes. What's the average distance between uh, firehouses? Depends on the community. Right. Yeah, I mean, Let's insurance Vancouver. On, in Vancouver. A mid-sized oh. city. I live in Vancouver, so just from what I've seen, I would say you're looking at kilometer and a half distance. Okay. Okay. So that let's say your accident happens right in between. Dead center? Yeah. Well, the way the system goes is somebody with a cell phone calls 911. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, dispatcher takes the call, shunts it to police, fire, or ambulance. So you've lost a little bit of time there. Yeah. That dispatcher types it into the computer. That shunts it to the person who's going to actually send it to the department and their... Um, apparatus. Right. So in the lower mainland here, you could have a dispatcher who's covering, for those of you familiar with our geography, um, Whistler, Lions Bay, West Vancouver, North Vancouver, and they've got to filter this into the right slot. Okay. Right. Then that dispatch happens. It's a computer that does the talking. And you so can't, it's like this. It's a lot slower than that. And <laughs> yeah. then the printout comes. And that's all before... It's hit the fire hall. Do you ever pick up right. the phone okay. and go, Stephen Hawking? Is that you? <laughs> There's oh. a fire. It's, it's a female in my voice. Pants. It's a female like, voice. In my pants. You're calling the wrong place, Stephen Hawking. Yet again, click. That never happens? He has to pre-generate all those phone sex calls. <laughs> like, it takes him a long time to get yeah. sentences going. It's yeah. really sad when he gets the wrong number. <laughs> now I've got to do it again. <laughs> Carrying on. Generally... We are legally obliged from the time the call starts coming in till the time right. we till the first vehicle rolls up at any incident about three minutes. Okay, oh, so wow. we do. You know, unfortunately, if you choose to have an accident at six fifteen p.m. Friday night, right, with bumper to bumper rush traffic, yeah, oh, yeah. we're gonna be a little slow. Now, did you say you're legally obligated to be there in three minutes? Like, is this like Domino's Pizza? You get the rescue for free? You get the <laughs> no. It's more along the lines of if we aren't. The, the beginning of the process is going to be explaining why we're not. You, oh, you can explain it away. Crazy traffic. We were involved in an accident or, you know. Right. That's never happened. Right. But um, <laughs> that's the sort of thing. We were in the middle of jello shots. Dude, American Idol was on. They were about to kick somebody off. It was it was Naked Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. It was Naked Tuesday. I heard that about firefighters. There was a zombie walk in progress. <laughs> Canadians have a 95% chance of being in a motor vehicle accident over the period of their life. 95? 95% chance. I've been in eight already, so I'm Ooh. bringing the average way up. <laughs> I've been in four. Yeah. I, what, is it, what does it count? I hit a stop sign once. That's a motor vehicle. Okay, then, yeah. You ever been hit black ice? Anybody's hit, bumped into you? Rear-ending. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, was, been, I guess I've been in two, one which I caused, and the other one I just got hit by a car while I was walking across the street. Oh, oh wow. 
classic. How did, how did that one turn out? It was, it was fine. It was just a little nudge. Oh, oh. I just the car was walking. destroyed, though. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> <Torrent> smash! <laughs> I used it like boxing gloves, like in the Incredible Hulk. Ah, like uh, that video game. Uh, we we that for our improvised weapons episode. Yeah, MVAs in British Columbia are the second most common cause of accidental death. So not counting things like cancers and, and old age and that. Okay. Just specific accidental deaths. Is cancer deaths. an accident, though? <laughs> I don't think so. It's on purpose. But uh, 27% of all accidental uh, deaths in BC are motor vehicle related. And, and what are the rest? Like uh, falling out of a tree? Falls are number one. They're, oh, they're 30%. I called it! Yeah! yeah. Same for the falls episode. That's how I'm going. And total number of pedestrians killed... In BC last year was 55. You're just mm. standing on the street corner waiting to go get your Timmies. Not even jaywalking. Not even jaywalking. And yeah. bam. I, a, I don't know if I could call him a close friend or anything, but a guy that I used to know at a, a youth center I volunteered at was walking down the road with the mother of his child. She was pushing the baby in a little pram. And he was on the street side and somebody dropped their cassette tape in their car, bent over to get it pulled off into while they're driving pulled off onto the sidewalk and drove right over him and killed him brutal yeah yeah undue just, care and attention the police call it no like the guy he was alive and then he was not alive anymore yeah. like it was madness this seems like a good place to talk about texting let's do right. mobile devices texting's illegal in bc while operating a motor <laughs> That's vehicle true uh-huh uh, there are many types of distractions that can lead to impaired driving but recently there has been a marked increase around the world in the use of mobile phones the distraction caused by mobile phones can impair driving performance in a number of ways, e.g. longer reaction times for braking and to traffic signals, impaired ability to keep in the correct lane, uh-huh. yeah. and shorter following distance. Text messaging also results in considerably reduced driving performance. Drivers using a mobile phone are approximately four times more likely to be involved in a crash than a driver who does not use that phone. Hands-free phones are not much safer than handheld phones. Yeah, I heard that. That mm-hmm. they, they, this law states that you can use hands-free devices, but there was a study that came out that I read about that says basically the hands-free device is just as dangerous as using the phone in your hand because I mean, you're distracted anyway because yeah. you're having a conversation and you're like, I get that it's dangerous to be mm-hmm. talking on the phone, but like surely looking at a screen is more dangerous than looking at the road while you're doing something. Like, I also have to wonder, what about talking about with someone in the vehicle with you? Yeah, yeah they should yeah. outlaw that as well. Or Make drinking. my rides a lot It's more all going to be Amish car driving. <laughs> it's just totally silent. We just need free transit everywhere. How about uh, uh, drinking a coffee? Or when my, my buddy yeah. Martin from high school used to drive with his knees while he ate an entire McDonald's meal. I, yep. I admit it, I've done it. I've done a lot of foolish things in cars. It's, but it's wrong. Yeah. Learn from us, even though we haven't paid for it. Don't do it. You're driving a, you're driving like a nearly a ton of metal at high speeds near other people. Then there's driving under the influence. The, pay the fuck yeah, alcohol attention. and drugs. Yeah. Uh, just the last thing I was going to mention were motorcycle fatalities. 2011, British Columbia, oh, 41. You mean donor cycles? Donor cycles. That's donor exactly cycles. what we call them. In fact, just in uh, Vancouver here, we had a double fatality motorcycle accident the day before yesterday. And yesterday there was a motor vehicle fatality. I've dated a few nurses in my day. And the reason they call them donor cycles is because the fatalities from motorcycle accidents are typically head injury. Right. So all the oh, internal organs are un- mm. unharmed. Ready to go. So livers and hearts and kidneys and whatever uh, may have gotten jostled a little bit, but uh, they're good for transplanting. I went to a um, double motorcycle collision. The, the two, two motorcycles. Two, two motorcycles other? driving side by side. Oh, okay. One um, of them was named Evil and the other one was named Knievel. Knievel. 
They were both under the influence of alcohol, and they were traveling at a high rate of speed and touched each other and wound up cartwheeling down the road. Uh, one individual went headfirst into a telephone pole. Ah, oh, nice. That pole was head. it for him. Wow, uh, the other wow. fellow landed in a ditch with multiple broken bones that were actually sticking out of the skin Ooh, in his body. Compound sure. fractures. Compound fractures. So I traveled with him to the hospital in the ambulance. And, you know, he's duct taped down to a spine board. And he's not feeling any pain. He's that drunk. Classic. He vomited into my face, actually. Oh, projectile vomit. <laughs> yeah. That was, nice. That was great. <laughs> Well, that's why you wear those big helmets, right? Did he survive? Not in the back of the ambulance, we don't. Uh, Uh, I never found out whether he survived or not. He was in bad shape. I I suddenly had other interests. This is making me not want to insure my motorcycle again. (laughs) Let's talk about risk compensation, also known as the Peltzman effect or risk homeostasis, an observed effect in ethology, the scientific and objective study of animal behavior. How do you spell it? E-T-H-O-L-O-G. Oh, okay whereby people tend to adjust their behavior in response to perceived level of risk, behaving less cautiously where they feel more protected and more cautiously where they feel a higher level of risk. The theory emerged out of road safety research after it was observed that many interventions failed to achieve the expected level of benefits. Notable examples include increased levels of risky behavior by road users following the introduction of compulsory seatbelts and bicycle helmets. Oh, so they drive more dangerously because they have a helmet and a seatbelt? They feel safer. In 1994, research concluded that drivers were found to drive faster and less carefully when belted. Hmm. So does the conclusion actually come to the fact that we may actually be have safer roads if we didn't have seatbelts? Well, that was... We, that was that if, in, um, we haven't come to it yet, but Ralph Nader's book, Unsafe at Any Speed, which had a tremendous impact on the North American automobile industry in the late 60s. The chief argument used by the car manufacturers to not provide safety upgrades in the vehicles was exactly that. It'll just cause more accidents. Right. Um, but the vehicles themselves were Tin cans. lethal at that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yes, the, the rate of accidents hasn't decreased since the introduction of See safety those. features. But the rate of deaths and serious injury has. Uh, okay. okay. Uh, motorists driving faster and following more closely behind the vehicle in front following the introduction of anti-lock brakes. They're, Even though everybody knows that anti-lock brakes don't actually give you a shorter stopping time. It just gives you control while you're trying to stop. Mm, I didn't know that. Uh, it actually increases the amount of the space you need to stop. Oh, really? Yeah. You stop in a longer space. You just can actually continue Oh, I guess that makes sense because the whole idea lock is... Up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are at least three studies which show that drivers' response to anti-lock brakes is to drive faster, follow closer, and brake later, accounting for the failure of ABS to result in any measurable improvement in road safety. These studies were performed in Canada, Denmark, and Germany. Um, I, I wasn't sure about that, that it increases the distance. ABS generally offers improved vehicle control and decreases stopping distance on dry and slippery surfaces for many drivers. However, on loose surfaces like gravel or snow-covered pavement, ABS oh. can significantly increase braking distance, although still improving vehicle control. So it's, it's, it's all about the control. Yeah. But not reducing the number of accidents. No. <laughs> A study led by a professor of civil engineering at Purdue University in Indiana supports risk compensation, terming it the offset hypothesis. Skydiver Bill Booth made the following rule. The safer skydiving gear becomes, the more chances skydivers will take in order to keep the fatality rate constant. Yeah, you see this, you see this in all sorts of places like uh, American football. The, the mm-hmm. more and more they get padded up, the more and more risks and head-to-shoulder attacks that they do, and the more yeah. and more guys get all those kinds There's of There's been injuries. study on police when they yeah. received um, body armor. 
mm-hmm. that they took more risks. Right. This speaks to skydiving and that skydivers will not actually enjoy skydiving unless it's perceived as dangerous. Is that the theory behind this? Yeah, that maybe. if people aren't dying, where's the fun in it anymore? Could I'm be. looking forward to the skydiving episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, without the you won't get that adrenaline dump if you don't think you're going to die, right? I We're going to so. have to go skydiving for that episode. Oh. Yeah. I've I never done it either. I don't think we're do doing a skydiving episode, guys. <laughs> you cowards. <laughs> Risk compensation is likely to be least when an intervention is imperceptible and greatest when an intervention is intrusive or conspicuous. This balancing behavior does not mean an intervention does not work and the effect may be less than, equal to, or greater than the true efficacy of the intervention. Mm-hmm. That is very interesting. It just goes to show you we're stupid. Yeah, we need a, we need a, a wise people up intervention of some type. Like, listen, fuckhead, stop it. Drive safe. But, you know, I'm kind of guilty of this as well. Like, when I drove a 1972 Beetle, <laughs> I did not drive very fast in that thing because it felt like it was going to shake apart at any given moment in time. The rivets were going to pop and it was going to, like, just be on four wheels and yeah, uh, chassis. And there's, like, four feet of tinfoil between your feet and the front of the car, really. Yes. Like, there was nothing but storage at the front that was probably empty so if you hit anything you would be yeah before we knew the term crumple zone it was a crumple zone yeah the whole car was a crumple zone not in a good way (laughs) yeah it was an accordion yeah the heavy protective bit is the engine in the back yeah and now i drive a 2008 you know car that has all sort of safety features in it and whatever whatever i drive faster in that thing than i did my old beetle i can vouch for that i came with you this morning Plus, they're quieter, which makes – they've done studies. Yeah. Quieter – cars that are quieter inside, people go faster. Yeah, because you don't right. feel like you're traveling. Like if you hear exactly. the roar of the wind coming through like every little crevice because <laughs> the thing is – Coming up her- through the floorboards. It isn't hermetically sealed. You have to do that like uh, rusted hole that you've got a piece of plywood <laughs> over, right? You know, you start to take things so, a little more cautiously. So the whole argument loud pipes save lives, which has been disproved about motorcycles, about motorcycles. might be actually true about cars because it makes you think, oh, geez, I'm going pretty fast. <laughs> this, thing, <laughs> this thing's a death trap. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should uh, let's release a caustic soda MP3 of super loud engine sounds that people can play in their car while they're driving. Just so they think they're going faster yeah, than they are, and then therefore drive slower. Or it could just, we could have a recording of Joe talking obnoxiously, which makes people drive slower. Because dude, like, oh. that's every podcast. We have over a hundred and thirty <laughs> episodes of that. <laughs> do people drive? Well, we got to do a study. We got to commission a royal study here. Get one of the right. universities on side. Do people drive safer while listening to Caustic Soda? Slow down. <laughs> so, what about this book, Unsafe at Any Speed? Watch out for that pedestrian. <laughs> I'm going to keep shouting out things to Just people who randomly. are driving while they listen to us. Oh, I see. In 1965, uh, Ralph Nader published a book, Unsafe at Any Speed, The Design and Dangers of the American Automobile. The book goes into the built-in design hazards. He of, talks of, 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 of all cars? Of American automobiles right. at the time. Uh, no seatbelts. Nader starts talking about the doors blowing open and rollovers. And because of his book, we now have an item called a Nader bolt in every car. Ooh, and the that's, Nader bolt. The Nader bolt. It's very exciting. And that's what <laughs> your door latches to. That every single car in North America, when you shut the door, you'll notice there's kind of a, a round bolt thingy yeah. sticks out, and the latch flips over the top of that. I'm doing hand gestures here for the listeners. Ah, so. yes. Yeah, good. That's good pod. Uh, that's good pod. This is there to keep the doors from flying open and having the passengers ejected. Oh, okay. Three-point seatbelts. He, uh, he suggested airbags. So, And this is all back in, in the mid-60s. What part of the car would everybody around the table like to be named after? If you could be named after any part of a car... Oh, I know Joe's would be the tailpipe. I know I would be the comfortable bucket seats. <laughs> the the Joe seat. Yeah, the Joe seat. Uh-huh. Yeah, the one that gropes you as it's, you drive. It's uh, no, it's heated. It uh, fits you perfectly. You got some nice lumbar support. Does it massage? Mm. Makes you feel good. 
I'm gonna go with uh, with engine. I'm kind of loud, but you need me. <laughs> I sure do, Kevin. I You'll sure go do. places with the Kevin motor. <laughs> yeah. I, I have I seatbelts, safety gear. Uh, yeah, uh, I know. Isn't the, that lame? The Allen belt. Uh, There's the already Allen one belt. of those. There isn't a Van <laughs> Allen belt. Allen yeah. belt. <laughs> I would go with the Torin pointy fin. Oh, the, you on the back of the car. Fins back on cars because you could yeah. poke somebody's eye out or something. Exactly, and that that appears in the book as well. The sixty-one but American tail fins. You know, they're it's an aesthetic thing. I personally don't find them very attractive, but there are millions of people who just worship the tail fin on the classic American uh-huh. automobiles. It's the old school spoiler. If if you spoiler look, alert, <laughs> that's what I ever when say it, when a car goes by. That's with a spoiler, spoiler alert. When when they got to their maximum, 59, the 59 Cadillac Eldorado, it's just obscene to look at the tail fins on them. They're ridiculous. And it was the whole... Probably creates another blind spot or something trying to look up the rear oh, view Oh, they got into that as well. <laughs> but it's it's gigantic. It's got little red reflectors that look like rocket motors, the yeah. lights below it. And it was all the whole time period of the, the atomic age, age and yeah. the space right. age and yeah. these, these ridiculous fins. They were lethal. In what way? Like people would reverse into people and impale well, them? Or? if you take a look at that's... We're obviously going to put pictures of these up on the website, causticsodapodcast.com. You will see what is clearly gotta, a lethal weapon. Uh, They're just a horrible looking pretty razor, aesthetic mm, attachment. Razor sharp. So, But, but how no one ever they... comes in from the back. Oh, really? <laughs> in a car So like accident. in a rear ending, these things like come through the front windshield well, or something? Torin knows a bit about it. Oh, I've got, I've got something here from the book. I'm okay. safe at any speed. In the year of its greatest height, the Cadillac fin bore an uncanny resemblance to the tail of a stegosaurus, a dinosaur <laughs> that had two sharp rearward projecting horns on each side of the tail. In 1964, a California motorcycle driver learned the dangers of the Cadillac tail fin. The cyclist was following a heavy line of traffic on the freeway going north, uh, going towards Newport Harbor in Santa Ana. As the four-lane road narrowed to two lanes... The confusion of highway construction and the swerving of vehicles in the merging traffic led to the Cadillac's sudden stop. Uh The motorcyclist was boxed in and was unable to turn aside. He hit the rear bumper of the car at a speed of about 20 miles per hour and was hurled into the tail fin, which pierced his body below the heart and cut him all the way down to the thigh bone in a large circular gash. Oh, really hurts. Oh, both Finn and man survived this encounter. The same was not true in the case of nine-year-old Peggy Swan. On September 1963, she was riding her bicycle near her home in Kensington, Maryland. Coming home down Kensington Boulevard, she bumped into a parked car in a typical childhood accident. Uh But the car was a 1962 Cadillac, and she hit the tail fin, which ripped into her body below the throat. Oh. She died in hospital a few hours later of thoracic hemorrhage. What's a thoracic? That's a, that's your upper body, right? And so she bled oh, out. Oh, the thorax. It's your chest, yeah. yeah. Any surgeon that opens Although you up is I, a thoracic surgeon. Now I want to see Thoracic Park. <laughs> of course you do. Almost thoracic a, Park is a porno. <laughs> <laughs> Almost a year and a half earlier, Henry Wakefield, Wakeland, the independent automotive engineer, had sent by registered mail a formal advisory to General Motors. The ability of the sharp and pointed tail fins to cause injury when they contact a pedestrian is visually apparent. Wakeland gave details of two recent fatal cases that had come to his attention. In one instance, an old woman in New York City had been struck by a Cadillac, which was ro- rolling slowly backward after its power brakes failed. Oh, I guess that they does go backwards into people. That's the, a lawsuit. The blow of the tail fin had killed her. 
In the other case, a 13-year-old Chicago boy trying to catch a fly ball in a summer day in 1962 had run into a 1961 Cadillac fin, which pierced his heart. Oh, this... And well, was, you want you want the lesson we got to take away from this is don't play baseball, people. <laughs> and that was just a piece of ornamentation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he also talks about chrome was out of control on vehicles at the time period, and they would completely chrome the dashboard. Oh, right, and the area so of the can't dashboard, see anything. and then the sun comes in the window, and you're blind. Yeah, yeah. Basically, Nader's kind of Mister Buzzkill. We can't just have our cars and eat it too. Should we go into history? Sure, let's do it. There's one from 1771 France. What? What? A motor vehicle accident from 1771? Nicholas Joseph Cugnot's second steam-powered vehicle is said to have crashed into a wall during a test run in what would have been the first automobile accident. However, this is disputed that it ever happened. Oh. So if it didn't happen, then the first accident would be 1869, almost 100 years later. Yeah, uh, not a lot of automobiles (laughs) in that intervening 100 years. In Ireland. Uh, while riding as a passenger with relatives in an experimental steam car, Mary Ward was thrown from the car and fell under the wheels as it rounded a bend. Oh, snap. And they, they were probably going at about two kilometers yeah. an hour. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the disappointing yeah. part. You'd think they would have come up with seatbelts right then and there, right? Well, she no, it was just the frailty of a woman. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a woman's fault, yeah, of course. Well, she couldn't hold on to her seat. It's obviously safe for any kind of well-respecting man. But what if the, a gentleman of noble birth wouldn't have been thrown uh, from the vehicle. <laughs> Actually, yeah, she was probably having some... They probably like, oh, she was having her uh, you know, monthly, monthly visit, obviously, and she threw herself beneath the tires to relieve her of her distress. Why, no man would be injured by such a vehicle. They're in our blood, even though we've just invented them. Moving all the way to 1978. Sure. Eastwind, Quebec. This is a sad one. Oh, it's going to make me sad. As opposed to all the happy motor vehicle accidents. <laughs> Some are more happy than others. And then he drove over Hitler. Yay! <laughs> a bus carrying mentally ill and other handicapped persons home from an evening at the theater had an incident in which the brakes failed, the bus began speeding, the driver couldn't turn, and plunged into a lake. Okay. 41 of them drowned. The driver and six assistants to the group survived. Oh, imagine that. The victims ranged in age from 14 to 85. The bus was traveling on a secondary road between Eastman and the mining town of, of Asbestos. Ah, which is no longer Asbestos. 35 miles to the northeast after it crashed into Lac d'Argent around midnight. Ooh, Silver Lake. That's what it means. Lac oh, d'Argent oh, means Silver Lake. And they you. haven't made this into a film? Because uh, uh, yeah. if, if listening to Kevin has taught me anything, uh, <laughs> I would have thought this would be... Uh, well, like a movie of the week. There is the Sweet Hereafter, which has a uh, motor vehicle accident which kills a bunch of school children. Yeah, all true. the kids in the town, yeah. So. The worst bus accident in Canada previously occurred in January 1967 when 19 students and a bus driver were killed when a packed school bus drove into the path of a freight train at a crossing near Montreal. And in June 1974, 14 members of a Golden Age Club were killed and 31 injured when a bus plunged 60 feet into a ravine. About 70 miles northeast of Quebec City. I mean, it was a golden age club, so they were kind of in the, the nadir of their lives. And they did plunge 60 feet, so it was kind of like a pretty sweet way to go. Is that a Ralph nadir joke? <laughs> Do you think the driver had his foot on the brake the whole way down? Oh. Like when you're going over a cliff, are you just madly <laughs> slamming the brake? No, no. Why isn't this working? That is only something that an emergency responder <laughs> yeah. would think of. Like, like I yeah. know what they were doing while they were going down. That's the first thing we check when we get to the car. See if his foot's on the brake. 
really? Is that true? No. 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 First, you check for signs of life, Kevin. That's, Jesus, that's, man. That's, right. that's all I was about to be like, dude, oh. Dude, 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 before you give that guy CPR, is his foot on the brain? Yeah. That'd be hilarious. Wait, oh wait, God. stop what you're doing. You idiot. The guy's something. like, they're going, <laughs> blood is coming out of his neck, and you're like, ah, idiot. You had yeah. your foot in the brain. You spend five minutes getting the jaws set up just to cut the door off. Check his foot. Check his foot. <laughs> Uh, here's a good one. November 1991. As traffic increased with travelers returning home after the Thanksgiving holiday weekend, winds along I-5 in California reached 40 miles an hour. The usually lush farmlands had been left unplanted due to a severe drought. Okay. The wind whipped up a fierce dust storm that seriously cut visibility. This all led to a pileup of 104 vehicles, including four tractor trailers, along a one-mile stretch of highway. After hours of rescue efforts in the continuing dust storm, 17 people had died and 150 were seriously injured. 104 cars. That's a lot of, that's a lot of MVAs. The pileup led to thousands more being trapped in their cars for another day while road crews cleared the wreckage and worked to reopen the highway. I can imagine. Wow. 104 cars, that takes a lot. I, I heard once that the, the principal, uh, from the insurance company's perspective, is the last person, if you get a multi-car pileup, the one who's on the very end is sort of held responsible for all the other accidents. That's certainly where they start from. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, so imagine if you are the last guy to hit that, and they try and pin you with 103 other accidents. You you touched it last. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's right. You're it. That's the principle. I have the 1999 Mont Blanc tunnel disaster. Ooh. We'll call it a road tunnel in the Alps under the Mont Blanc mountain is what we're talking about. White mountain. It's 7.2 miles long. 28 feet wide. That's a big tunnel. On the morning of 24th March 1999, after several kilometers, the driver of a Belgian transport truck carrying flour and margarine caught fire in the tunnel. There was one truck carrying both flour and margarine? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. It's the cookie truck. (laughs) (laughs) Bringing in the the cookie recipe. uh, Did it collide with a truck carrying chocolate chips? (laughs) Oh, you got your margarine in my chocolate. At 10.53, seeing white smoke coming out from under his cab, the driver of the vehicle, Gilbert de Grave, stopped in the middle of the tunnel to attempt to fight the fire, but he was suddenly forced back by flames erupting from his cab. He should not have been trying to cook the cookies (laughs) on the way. (laughs) Two minutes later, the tunnel employees triggered the fire alarm and stopped any further traffic from entering. At this point, there were at least 10 cars slash vans and 18 trucks in the tunnel that had entered from the French side. Okay. Some of the cars from the French side managed to turn around in the narrow two-lane tunnel to retreat back to France. But negotiating the road in the dense smoke that had rapidly filled the tunnel quickly made this impossible. The larger trucks didn't have the space to turn around, and reversing out wasn't an option. Most drivers rolled up their windows and waited for rescue. The ventilation system in the tunnel drove toxic smoke back down the tunnel faster than anyone could run to safety. What? Why was the ventilation forcing the toxic air back into the tunnel? I don't. That's the opposite thing the ventilation should do. It sounds like this tunnel was vented out its openings. It was actually a uh, human error. Uh, the person was not supposed to do that, but he did it. Wait, so he like turned the fans on reverse? He went, oh, we got smoke piling up in the tunnel. Let's not clear the air yes we actually call that positive pressure ventilation that's a a term we use in firefighting and you wouldn't do it in a tunnel yeah he (laughs) he was supposed to do the exact opposite ah okay so we're in bizarro world i like it (laughs) yes Uh it was bizarre oh me i'm helping (laughs) that's great snow Uh, falls up these fumes quickly filled the tunnel and caused vehicle engines to stall who knows why uh because lack of oxygen (laughs) there you go apparently vehicles need oxygen to run Uh just like people you can't drive in space man (laughs) 
Many drivers near the blaze who attempted to leave their cars and seek refuge points were quickly overcome by the smoke. Within minutes, two French fire trucks responded. The fire had melted the wiring and plunged the tunnel into darkness in the smoke. And with abandoned and wrecked vehicles blocking their path, the large fire engines were unable to proceed. The fire crews instead abandoned their vehicles and took refuge in two of the emergency fire cubicles. These are sealed small rooms set into the walls every 600 meters. Oh, so they kind of saw this eventuality as a possibility, gave people a safe refuge. Right. Mm-hmm. As they huddled behind the fire doors, they could hear burning fuel roll down the road surface, causing tires to pop and fuel tanks to explode. Oh, that's not good. They were rescued five hours later by a third fire crew that responded and reached them via a ventilation duct underneath the tunnel. Some victims escaped to the fire cubicles. The original fire doors on the cubicles were rated to survive for two hours. Some had been upgraded in the 34 years since. The tunnel was built to survive for four hours. However, the fire burned for 53 hours and uh, reached temperatures of 1,000 degrees Celsius. That's 1,800 Fahrenheit. Uh, mainly because of the margarine load in the trailer equivalent to a 23,000 liter oil tanker. Of course, that's what you get for using I can't believe it's not kerosene. (laughs) (laughs) Slowly, everything became part of the inferno. It trapped around 40 vehicles in dense and poisonous smoke containing carbon monoxide and cyanide. Authorities compounded the effect by pumping in the fresh air from the Italian side, forcing poisonous black smoke through the length of the tunnel. 27 people died in their vehicles. 10 died trying to escape on foot. Of the initial 50 people trapped in the fire, 12 survived. It would be over five days before the tunnel cooled sufficiently for anyone to go back in to start repairs. It was basically a crematorium. I guess that would be an opportunity for a good learning experience. Yeah. How do you prevent this, like, the next time? Like, forcing the toxic smoke back into the tunnel so people couldn't get out and people would be overcome by by this poisonous gas and then all their cars would wink out because and then they couldn't even reverse out. Could you be that guy? The guy who flipped that switch wrong. Yeah, uh, how is how is his life changed? Like they're just like if I had flipped it the right way, Probably. maybe two people would have died. A lot of tunnels aren't made that way, just for that reason. We have yeah. a, we have a pretty big tunnel here in the Lower Mainland, and if you drive through it, it's it's two compartmented tunnels, one going north, one going south. Mm-hmm. And if you drive along, you'll see doors between the yeah. tunnel. Yeah, and emergency responders go down the lane that's not on fire. Oh, okay. And cut through the nearest door to the fire. Right. Ah, that's that's okay. how that's done in most places. But I imagine the Mont Blanc, Mont Blanc tunnel is, is quite old. So that, that wouldn't have been engineered in. They talked about upgrading the doors in the 34 years since they put the original doors in. Yeah. So. There you go. Have you had any similar experiences? No. That's a pretty rare event. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, no, mar- no, no big, big margarine fires. No. Or how about a big tanker of anything that's burned? Did go to a marshmallow fire one time. Oh, a marshmallow fire? Was yeah. it delicious? Yummy. It was, it was a warehouse full of cinnamon rolls with that fresh, gooey oh cinnamon roll stuff. And um, This sounds like the greatest was that, fire was ever. Was it the best day in the job you've ever had? Uh, no, because everyone was slipping and sliding and oh, falling and coming yeah. out with, with the icing running down their oh, visors. Now you can't, you can't go to... Couldn't see a thing. Yeah. And that's when the rats showed up. Yeah. And you started can't attacking to... all these <laughs> frosting-covered firefighters who were trying to put out a Cinnabon fire. And, and wait, it smelled and, great. And by rats, you mean torn? Because I imagine he'd be down there licking okay. visors like nobody's business. Coat me in burning syrup. Free frosting! <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw him lurking in the bushes just, around the... He, yeah. he, comes, the he comes out in a giant graham cracker costume going, let's make s'mores! <laughs> I also have... This is my last thing. Yungus Road. North Yungus Road, alternately known as El Camino de la Muerte. Oh. 
The Camino of Death. The Road of Death. Oh, El Camino that, means the road? I thought that was a 70s car. They named a car after the road. <laughs> sure, why not? It sounds appropriate. No, Camino is way, actually. Oh, there you go. Yes, there you oh. go. It's the way Pardon of the death. Way. Pardon me. A 40-mile road leading from La Paz to Coroico in the Yungas region of Bolivia, built in the 1930s during the Chaco or Chaco War between Bolivia and Paraguay, mm-hmm. uh, built by Paraguayan prisoners. The road first ascends to around 4,600 meters Ooh, that's high. at La Cumbra Pass. That's 15,000 feet. Before descending to 1,200 meters, that's 3,900 feet, mm-hmm. at the town of Coroico. Because of the extreme drop-offs of at least 600 meters. Oh, because, like off the side of the road. Yeah, that's okay. 1,800 feet. Single lane width, most of the road no wider than 10 feet. What? And lack of guardrails. The road is extremely dangerous. Uh, yeah. And that's on a good day. Oh, my God. This is crazy. What happens if a car comes the other way? <laughs> kind of puts the Sea to Sky Highway into perspective, doesn't it? Our, our local road of death. Rain, fog, and dust can reduce visibility. In many places, the road surface is muddy and can loosen rocks from the road. This, of, this seems like a, like a set on an Indiana Jones movie. Yes, yes. Like, this is... You know, it's, I, I wouldn't have believed it would have existed. I would have been like, where's Harrison Ford in this shot? One of the local road rules specifies that the downhill driver never has the right of way and must move to the outer edge of the road. Oh, this, of course. When you don't have the right of way, you've got to move to the outer edge. This forces fast vehicles to stop so that passing can be negotiated safely, <laughs> quote unquote. Also, vehicles drive on the left as opposed to the right like the rest of Bolivia. If there's an alternate route, I would take it. I don't care how much shorter it would be. Just hire a helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> on 24th July 1983, a bus veered off the Yungos Road and into a canyon, killing more than 100 passengers in what is said to be Bolivia's worst road accident. And we have some videos, which we'll post. And June 2012, 18 people died and 33 were injured when a bus carrying 60 tried to avoid an oncoming taxi and went over the edge. Trivia. A Mitsubishi Outlander TV commercial was filmed on the road. Okay. And the second season of IRT, Deadliest Roads, a spinoff of the History Channel series Ice Road Truckers, follows six North American drivers as they haul cargo along the road. Oh, I've seen parts of this. I saw, like, you know, ads for it and trailers and whatnot where they're trying to basically drive right along the hairy edge and and they throw the local the north american drivers are super nervous and scared and slow uh-huh. and all the like local drivers are driving like maniacs on this road <laughs> like like these guys are idiots why are they driving so fast and yeah there's like these little parts of the road where it, like kind of just b- widens like an extra foot and a half and those are like the passing points right like you see another car coming you wait there for the other one you try and like shimmy pass and they fold their rear view mirrors in because otherwise right. they're so close they'll yeah. touch yeah like oh my god this is insane apparently the locals haven't heard of risk compensation <laughs> or they have and they're living it to the edge <laughs> literally to the edge oh the edge i get it one estimate 200 to 300 travelers are killed yearly along the road by one estimate that's, that's like, like that's even, the total even, number of people killed in all of british columbia like in a year that's coming up to one a day yeah. It's like, look, okay, of all the people going on this road today, are you going to be the one that dies? Yeah. I got to get my gourds to market. <laughs> That's true. We have so little to live for, Joe. I, maybe uh, I will go live where market is and then not worry. I don't know. Yeah. But then Make your, my gourds your farm there. is at the other end of the road, though. Uh, it's time to move. Yeah. Is selling gourds worth risking my life? Those are some good gourds. <laughs> 
That's that's probably the last thing you hear you you say as you go over the edge. Oh my god! <laughs> Caustic Soda public service announcement. Do, 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 do. So you've been in a car accident. Ooh. Ooh okay. what, what can you expect? Assuming... Uh, Crash. You'll suddenly stop moving. <laughs> uh, assuming you're conscious or you've recently returned to consciousness. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, a, it's the type of crash that's going to require intervention by an emergency service. Even before the fire department leaves their fire hall, they're starting their size up for your case. They're getting information from dispatch, two-car MVA roll over whatever's coming in from the actual report roll outside we're getting weather what are the roads like this is all calculated into our approach to it okay temperature day of the week uh, is it rush hour um are schools in session is it lunchtime all this kind of stuff is calculated in as we're responding it's almost like the services that our taxes pay for are well planned and executed sometimes okay once we arrive we begin our vehicle assessment first of all 
you have to be careful not to just go up to the first car you see and start working on that because then you find out there's a second car and it's up in a tree a half a block down the street. Oh, I see. You do, you also don't want to find out someone was ejected and they're you know in the backyard half the block down the street as well. So speaking to bystanders, bystanders looking at the vehicles, how many vehicles are they? What kind of a situation are they in? Are there any hazards? Are they leaking fuel? Are they sparking electrical? Is it an overturned margarine truck with a fire? Right. Um, that sort of thing. Then the next step, once we've done the actual uh, safety assessment. How long am I banging on my window? (laughs) Most of that is from the time you're rolling up to the time you've walked up. You're doing this as you're walking. It's it's observant. Plus, there's extra people, so one or two are going to be kind of scouting out the area and then reporting back to the officer. Multitasking. Exactly. Then comes your patient assessment. You don't get 12 firefighters going for the same door, hopefully. (laughs) Or they're all standing around going, all right, what do we got It depends if it's, you know, like the Swedish bikini team bus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you would have 12 firefighters (laughs) going for the door. Uh, Okay, next up is patient assessment. How many? Where are they? Types of injuries. Triaging, which is very ugly. People don't like it. But if you spoke about that accident with 144 vehicles, Mm -hmm. if this person's not going to make it, no matter what we do, and that person over there probably will. You put a pillow over the first guy's face. We're going to be triaging. Yeah, it's it's a really ugly concept, but it Mm -hmm. it happens. In a regular two-car MVA, we don't do triaging. We we take care of everyone. That's why fire trucks are just laden with extra pillows, right? (laughs) They just have that whole other compartment just Well, it's multi-purpose. You can also take a nap on the way to the plastic bags. (laughs) Generally what happens when you have those three-minute report times, you need a a cat nap. So then we have options of what we can do. If you're in your vehicle and you're trapped, we can pop a door open completely remove a door, uh, roll the roof right off the vehicle. Roll it like a, like a sardine can? Well, we actually call it flapping it. Okay. So you cut all the posts at the front of the vehicle. The posts are the, the parts around your windows that hold up the roof. Does that mean I've got sparks from a welding torch coming into my face? No, you got the jaws of life. Jaws of life don't give off sparks. They're a non-reactive okay. metal, so they won't yeah. spark. They pinch, and then they pry. Yeah, there are combi tools that do both, and yeah. then there are specific tools that are just spreaders and just shears. Uh, spreaders can spread up to 49,000 pounds. Shears can cut up to 100,000 pounds, depending on the specific tool. Wow. Yeah, um, they're like the b- b- biggest badass tin snips in the world. Yeah. But, they, and do you have a pair of those on your fire engine? Yeah. Oh, I've used them many, many times. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, we also have hydraulic rams, which we use for stabilizing vehicles or for relocating dashboards. Often in a front end, the dashboard crumples down and pins the person, the occupant, and or we have for, to raise it. Or for launching stuntmen into the air during an A-team episode. Uh, our, our hydraulic rams are very slow moving. Oh. It would take the guy 10 minutes to get up into the air, and then he'd just kind of fall over. You've got to record it right with a different frame rate so it looks like it's fast. There you go. Right. And then he jumps at the very top. Yep. <laughs> uh, we also have uh, little handheld shears, which are for snipping off the pedals, because foul- feet often get fouled in the brake pedal or the gas pedal, and you're trapped oh, down Oh, Okay. Um, we do have power saws depending on types of vehicles. So next time I can't get my jar of peanut butter open, I'm calling you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you will probably, if you've been in this type of accident, have a firefighter or a paramedic slither into the back seat behind you to stabilize your neck and shoulders. Okay. Provide cerebral spinal uh, protection. Uh, and they will cover you with blankets, talk to you while your windows are smashed out. You're, you're going to start hearing reciprocating hand saws, cutting your front windshield out. Right. And then, Don't be alarmed. It's exactly, all part of the process. Exactly. It's, it's very noisy. It sounds awful. Fire trucks are idling, so you're breathing diesel exhaust. Ugh. You're you're traumatized from you know having your bell rung. Yeah. As as the vehicle rolls over. So it's like you're you're part psychiatrist as well. You part like trauma. You do a lot of speaking in a soft, high, how okay. are you kind of voice. Oh, very yes. soothing. Everything. Yeah, like a late night <laughs> FM DJ. I'm being lulled into a sense of uh, well-meaning intentioned. 
And then uh, if that doesn't work and you're – some of the local departments have these, but these are more common, especially in the States, are exotic tools for rescue. Plasma arc cutters. Oh, nice. I used those in my mutilator campaign. <laughs> Exothermic cutting devices. Exothermic? That means outside of heat. Yes. What does that, what does that look like? Cutting flares and oxyacetylene torches. These are uh, essentially like a, a rod, uh, a bar, uh-huh. usually made out of something like magnesium with a hollow, d- drilled hollow in the center. Okay. And what happens is when you light the end, air is drawn up that rod okay. in a chimney effect, and it gets faster and faster, and magnesium burns very fast. So these burn at 10,000 degrees. Jesus. And they'll just slice through. That's a lightsaber. And it's a lightsaber <laughs> for about 10 yeah. seconds. About so we have one. It's a 10-second lightsaber. Yeah, there's one here right now. <laughs> oh, jeez, that's awesome. So we've got a video of this that we'll obviously put on the website. And the reason for these out. things is the downside to all the safety gear we were talking about. Vehicles having 11 airbags. Right. Um, Seatbelt pretensioners, which is actually an explosive device under your seat, which powers a piston tighten your seatbelt okay uh it is explosive that's the downside to it all of these things but does that mean that it doesn't release after that well if it for some reason didn't activate and a firefighter isn't completely paying attention usually the first thing we do is we we rip off all the uh interior cosmetic items to expose airbags cylinders fuzzy dice no your fuzzy (laughs) dice would be that'd be stolen but that's that'd be fine uh by by you because you're the only gaming as he's going through the ashtray for the loose change do you you have a (laughs) but there's as i said there's a downside to all these new vehicle technologies the protection system airbags deploy at 200 miles per hour Mm -hmm. which is potentially lethal Mm -hmm. if a firefighter cuts into a cylinder accidentally it explodes and it can kill the firefighter or the occupant of the vehicle Um, an airbag there's never been a recorded case of an airbag deploying once the vehicle comes to a rest and the power is shut off but with the vehicle's power still on airbags have accidentally deployed just by bumping the vehicle Mm. during a rescue and if you're in front of it it'll snap your arms Jesus. Um, you've I, All of us probably got our driver's license some time ago. You remember your hands go at 10 and 2 on yeah. the steering wheel? Yeah. They don't anymore because of airbags. They now go at 9 and 3. Oh. 10 and 2, you're going to break your forearms. There's a public service announcement there you go. I did not know that. Exactly. Uh, Seatbelt pretensioners, again, you cut into it, you get explosive shrapnel. It's a nitrocellulose explosive. The magicians use it as flask paper because there's no residue. It just goes foomph and it's oh, gone. Okay. But it will ignite a fire, so you got to watch out for those. We should have put these things on our booby traps episode, I guess. <laughs> yeah. These Bumpers? Are these are booby traps for firefighters. Bumpers have uh, compressible struts for a five-mile or less uh, impact, which will release basically a hydraulic, um, almost like a shock absorber. Right. If you're standing in front of the bumper working on something and it releases because it took the, the compression in the accident, your legs are broken and you've been probably knocked, you know, halfway down the street. Oh, God. Hatchbacks have those little hydraulic struts that lift them up, mm-hmm. cut into one of those, and the, the steel bar that's in it shoots out like a missile. Jesus. So. These things are death traps. They are death traps. <laughs> they, then you get to the stuff that's there to help you that isn't so helpful, like the uh, side impact beams, which are made out of a boron steel, one of the hardest substances known to humanity. And they're just beams that run the length of your doors. Right. Because uh, a T-bone is a pretty lethal collision. Right. That's right. Because there's so little car between you and, and the other one. The problem is, if you're in a front end, these side impact beams will punch through the door into the front and the back of the car, effectively locking the door from right. conceivably being opened. Right. 
So that's when you start using cutting saws to try and cut through the more plasma arc cutters to melt through the So it, it basically becomes a deadbolt. Like it, it, it acts it like gets a, pushed a bolt. From the, yeah, it p- yep. gets pushed from the front of that, that door back so that it's in the door and in the door frame. Exactly. And then, okay, I understand. Exactly. That yeah, makes perfect sense. Wow. So now you're stuck. The very first thing we do before we even touch the vehicle is we stabilize the vehicle. Cribbing hydraulic struts, that sort of thing, to make it... If you have a spinal mo- um, uh, injury, we don't want the vehicle jiggling and wobbling. And by, no, cribbing, so. by cribbing, you mean you, put, you put babies inside of it. Well... We filled it with babies. Filled it with babies. To, to make little, it even more annoying. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody... Studies have found firefighters siren. work better with babies crying around. Well, okay. the sirens yeah. on the fire engine are actually babies right. crying. <laughs> <laughs> there have been, <laughs> been a lot of cutbacks in their budget. That's true. Actually, that is a problem we have is if you see all the new TV commercials, the person's driving in their Lexus and they go past a construction crew with a jackhammer and they're listening to Vivaldi's music and mm-hmm. they can't hear it. Well, they can't hear the sirens on fire trucks, police or ambulance right. either. Right. So now we're getting these new ultra low frequency devices oh. that just pump through your car to the inside. Yeah. And uh, shatter all your windows. Well, they, they <laughs> shatter, shatter your peaceful hallucinations. Invi- <laughs> yeah. We've talked about the the subsonics causing some problems in our ghost episode. You'll you'll be um, collar, hard collared, rolled out onto a stretcher, duct taped down to a spine board, and uh, well, not duct taped, but strapped, strapped down to a spine board. I got zipper stripped. I think I'm going to sell my motorcycle. Probably don't have to worry on a motorcycle. Yeah, yeah, I'll just be dead. Be it's, yeah. it's, it's not the ambulance taking you in the but motorcycle. I mean, after uh, this is this is not specifically to that. It's all this stuff. I, I think right. I'm done driving. My my mom used to work for the uh, RCMP, and she has all these stories yeah. about you know auto vehicle accidents and stuff like that. Well, I remember the one time that where the person's body had been sheared in half, mm-hmm. so it was they had to uh, the ambulance arrived and he was uh, helping them carry the two halves of the body oh. to, uh, to the ambulance. And uh, he was very surprised how much heavier the bottom half was than the top. That's what. That's the part of the story that really because he had a her. huge dong. Because <laughs> usually the head is the heaviest organ in the body. I get, yeah. it, it depends where you cut in half. I yeah, suppose. I guess leg, legs and ass. I mean, really, uh, you I, know. Check his pockets. I did go to a motorcycle accident a couple years back, uh-huh. and uh, he was at a pretty good speed going down the road and grabbed his brakes. The, the rear ones didn't activate at all, and the front ones locked up. Oh, so it went over the handles? It was right over the handles, yeah, and uh, down the street on his face. Here's what I think motorcycle drivers should do. They should all carry lances like old school knights. Oh, jousting. Joust and joust with uh, any, uh, any, any challenging traffic, any bad drivers. Didn't Indiana Jones do that with the Nazis? It's, you know, you, you might be able to get a long enough lance to hit that driver quick, like first, but then you're going to hit him. And I prefer to do that on my ostrich. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> that only works if you're flying above them, though. And if they're right. above uh, you, then you get knocked off and watch out for that pterodactyl. Uh-huh. The only last thing I would mention is um, the new electric vehicles have, oh. have a whole host of problems that we're discovering. Uh, oh, no. Earlier, electrocutions? Earlier, well, electrocution, 650 volts in the battery pack, which uh, if you go cutting into things that are marked brightly orange, they tell us you won't get hurt. But I don't want to be the person to, mm. to test that. Yeah, to uh, additionally, the cars on. don't make any sound when they're idling. Right. So there have been a n- you numerous don't know if it's on or off. Or... Exactly. There have been numerous incidents of people falling asleep at the wheel or being injured and passing out or diabetic comas and emergency responders approaching from the front of the vehicle in time to have the person's foot slip onto the accelerator oh. pedal and mow them down. Oh, jeez. So there's an international body meeting to decide what sound electric cars make. 
Yeah. If they haven't already done it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll be having, you know, little buzzing noises or, or something. Or just some kind of slight light somewhere if, if sound is a problem. like have you, Or you just plug in your iPod and it plays it externally. Oh, I see. That wouldn't be annoying at all. <laughs> yeah. Johnny Cash is waiting in the lineup behind me. In the news. July 2012, Nigeria. At 6.30 a.m., a premium motor spirit, PMS for short, <laughs> fuel tanker loaded with petrol attempted to avoid crashing into a vehicle which had been struck by a bus in the village of Okogbi. The vehicle did not immediately burst into flames, so nearby villagers, including drivers of motorbike taxis, known locally as Okadas, mm -hmm. rushed to collect the spilled fuel <laughs> despite the truck driver warning them away. Ah, I see. Free gas. Forty minutes later, the tanker exploded, burning many of them to death. Uh, initial estimates put the death toll at 95, but some people were on fire as they ran into the bush and it had not been located. The final tally ended up at 121 after more bodies were recovered from neighboring villages where they had been taken by their relatives. The number of injured has risen to at least 75, although officials believe the actual number is higher as some victims were treated by relatives or private clinics. This How is... do you get raised not understanding that a fuel tanker leaking fuel they haven't seen all those hollywood movies in nigeria you know that might actually be the point like maybe it is a case of if hollywood's taught me anything stay the hell away from wrecked fuel tankers Ooh. and thank you hollywood yeah. for that little bit of knowledge absolutely yeah, they usually get everything wrong yeah like in, in the hollywood one it only catches fire if the flame literally touches the wet part of the gas as opposed to any of the f the fuel that's actually in right. the air all the vaporized actually fuel, flammable yeah. That yeah. Would, yeah but but you know aside from those details at least you know to stay away well, this this could actually be like a follow up on our greed episode, you know, trying to steal free gas. Yeah, but when you're as poor as the people in Africa are, I don't know if it's greedy to want to have a little gas. No, but it's you know it, it's a, attempting to get something that doesn't belong to you. They're doing a risk reward calculation without the full data. Yeah, that's the problem. They don't understand how dangerous it is to go get that, and wow. don't understand that it's not worth the reward of the free. I gas. think when a fuel tanker tips over and the gas is spilling out it belongs to the world oh really absolutely <laughs> and so does the ensuing death yeah so what happens if you're uh, in a restaurant and you drop your food on the floor it becomes anybody's food you can't you know five second rule doesn't apply you'd to have you? to check the town charter yeah <laughs> you, just, you figure homer out. say it belongs to the town idiot and since i don't see him around <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that half a cupcake is yours torn if somebody uh at the table next to you drops it fight 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 <laughs> fight 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 fight, fight. Pop culture? The Sweet Hereafter. Okay. 1997. Adam McGoyan directed, based on a novel by... Russell Banks. Russell Banks, starring Bruce Greenwood and Sarah Pauly. Bilbo. Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins. Who? Ian Holm. Ian Holm. Oh, and Ian Holm. Yes, of course. Uh, the old Bilbo. Ian Holm plays a lawyer who is coming to this small town... That in British is, Columbia, Canada. In BC. That has been changed forever because the school bus with all the school children went into a frozen lake and killed all of them except for one, and she's now in a wheelchair. Right. He's an ambulance chaser, and he's trying to get all the parents of the children to sue the school board or the bus manufacturer or whoever has the deepest pockets. Right. And uh, uh, some of the townsfolk are with them, and some of the townsfolk are against them. IMDb trivia, Donald Sutherland was originally cast as Mitchell Stevens, but had to back out and was replaced by Ian Holm at the last minute. Oh, those are both good I choices. I think either would have worked. Both of them could be, even though they're different looks, Yeah, but those guys could play the same parts. I, I mean, think, Donald Sutherland is, is, is 
old now, but I mean, 15 years ago, he would have been just the right age. Yeah. He would have been like, he would have been great 60s. as Ash and Alien. I would have liked to have seen him as Bilbo Baggins. Yeah. <laughs> this should be a new feature on Caustic Soda. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, it's a 10 out of 10. Alan, you've seen all of the Bourne movies? I've seen the Matt Damon ones. What were the car crashes in it? In the Bourne Supremacy, there's a car chase scene where he's in a, where Jason Bourne's in a taxi cab. And although, you know, we're kind of not really talking about caused vehicle accidents. Okay. On purposes. Exactly. uh, He's in a T-bone accident where you don't see it coming and you get the passenger looking at the driver's side view. Compared to a lot of accidents in film, it's, it's fairly mundane, but it's the most realistic representation I've seen, having gone to a million of them, of what it looks like afterwards, how the person's, you know, they've had their bell rung. Okay. It's really quite impressive. We're, we're watching it here. We'll obviously post this video on the website as well. I mean, this is, this is definitely a really impressive sequence. And even the first one, there was one where they stole a, uh, he stole a car and was driving it around, and he gets T-boned in it, and it was just, uh, a bunch of filmmakers since have copied it. Everyone's copying it now. Because, yeah. because it, it, but it, cause it was so visceral, and it put you in the car with him, and you saw the actual lead actor instead of, like, knowing that it's some stunt guy. Mm-hmm. Right. Also, in the final Bourne film, there's, uh, there's one that ends up with him being flipped on the side in a police car. And that really highlights how mobile a car can become yeah. in an accident mm-hmm. without looking too overdramatic with explosives right. catapulting right. it yeah. in. Yeah, you, you kind of have this, that seems to be a new way of kind of telling the story of car accidents in movies these days that is more hyper-realistic right. than the, you know, car drives over obvious hidden ramp and flips and explodes in the air that you get from, you know, slightly older movies. Unlike it's, the transporter movies where the accidents are all right. totally unreal, but right. no less entertaining. Yeah, in those you're like, oh, we're in an action movie universe okay cool and that's why these ones are good because you're like oh wow this is much more real and scary Mm -hmm. and frightening because people can die in these kinds of accidents right kevin do you remember we went to see the movie the adrian brody film wrecked i remember seeing the movie i didn't remember seeing it with you (laughs) a man trapped in a car wreck at the bottom of a ravine must overcome incredible odds to survive you know, I liked the premise of that movie. It was just so effing boring. Like, <laughs> the first 20 minutes, there was literally, like, one word of dialogue, right? It was just him stuck in a car. Right? Yeah, Wally sucked, too, for that same reason. <laughs> oh. 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. Yeah, see, had Terrible good, movies. Wally had good writing, right? <laughs> Wrecked was just a guy going, uh, uh, for, like, 20 minutes. So it's the same kind of concept as, like, one, 124 hours? Where it's just one person, hours? 128 hours, where it's just one person for the whole movie. And yes. Yeah. 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 I remember you complaining about the fact that, and this is a valid complaint, he was dragging himself over hell's half acre where he could have just made a crutch, you know, or just yes. used, a, used a stick to help him walk. They, they found ways to over-dramatize all this really mm. boring action. <laughs> and you're like... No, nah, you didn't need to make it this dramatic. Like, I mean, he's crawling on a forest floor. He was like crawling over logs and sticks, right? <laughs> and you're just like, just fashion some kind of crutch. Like, this is when when you're dumber than a monkey. It was well intentioned. I like the premise. It was just poorly executed. IMDb trivia: shot in just 18 days and filmed in order. Mm-hmm. In order to immerse himself in the character's situation and mental state, Adrian Brody stayed in the woods overnight at a car at the car wreck. Completely alone in the middle of a Canadian winter while the rest of the cast and crew went back to their hotels. Oh, wow. I didn't hear that. Yeah, that's weird. And uh, Brody admitted that while filming certain scenes, he did actually eat insects and a worm. So okay. good, good for you, Adrian Brody. <laughs> it totally showed, too, yeah. didn't it? You know. <laughs> oh, wow. Looks like that guy has really uh, eaten a bug. Now, this well, movie... it's less acting he, have to, he has to do. 
There's another movie that isn't about a motor vehicle accident, but is one of my the funniest motor vehicle accidents in film history, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Okay. The sequence where they're, uh, they accidentally cross over to the wrong side of the highway, and they're, the, the motorists on the right, the correct side of the highway keep how, yelling at them like, you're going the wrong way. How did they get on the wrong side? Uh, they kind of fell asleep at the wheel, and he sort of just like crossed over through the oh, like, okay. median, and uh, they're yelling at him, you're going the wrong way. And, and then what was the accident? Other, they look at each other and kind of say, how do they know where we're going, right? <laughs> and uh, what happens is these two 18-wheeler semis coming at them in both lanes, and they go right in between them, and the, the 18-wheelers shear like the sides off of the vehicle <laughs> and while they're going they have these like hallucinations about the lives are flashing before their eyes and like you know John uh, John Candy is looking at Steve Martin he sees like a full on skeleton like cackling right and Steve Martin looks at John Candy and John Candy's dressed like the devil going <laughs> and it's it's hilarious, okay. like hysterically funny. Fight Club. Not only does it have the one kind of semi-intentional accident at the end when he tells him to give up everything, but the narrator's job is to literally go to car accidents for the major car company he works for and figure out how much the settlement's going to be. There's the, I love the quote uh, where he describes uh, that after a car accident, the car crashes and burns with everyone trapped inside. Now, should we, should we initiate a recall? Take the number of vehicles in the field A, multiply by the probable rate of failure B, multiply by the average out-of-court settlement C, A times B times C equals X. If X is less than the cost of a recall, we don't do one. Mm-hmm. And it's just the, the sheer math of death yeah. going on by these car companies. Well, people will die, but... They actually have a calculation for the cost of human life, right? Yeah. Which we all, as an individuals, find very despicable, but at a corporate level, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. I, uh, I've got uh, a couple of movies that are inextricably linked in my mind, even though the vast majority of people have seen one and not the other. Crash mm-hmm. and Crash. <laughs> How are those linked? Two movies with the same name. One, oh. one is good and one is not terribly good. And surprisingly <laughs> enough, the one that was like nominated for a whole bunch of Academy Awards is the one that I don't think is very good. What was the good one called? Crash. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was the other one called? Crash. <laughs> oh. Uh, the one is made by David Cronenberg and is about a uh, kind of weirdo subculture of people who get a, who have been in terrible accidents in their life and now get uh, really aroused and find car crashes right. erotic. That's their kink, yeah. That's their kink. And so uh, um, Rosanna Arquette plays a character who has this ma- – her legs are all in braces and uh, she's got these massive scars at the back of her legs from – her legs had to be totally reconstructed. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, David Spader's character has sex with her scar. James Spader, sorry, not David Spader. Uh, uh, James Spader. James Spader in a movie about odd kinks? That's weird. <laughs> I know. It's mm. like uh, he, he didn't leap to mind when Cronenberg was uh, casting this movie, obviously. And then the other crash is the uh, movie with Matt Dillon and Sandra Bullock and like a whole cast of thousands about this racist cop who saves a black woman from a car crash. Was that any good? I thought it was like totally hackneyed and trite. I saw both these movies in the theater and when I saw the first one, the Cronenberg one, I actually felt like I walked out of the movie and I hated it. Hmm. Like I felt like my senses had been assaulted. I feel like Like that was was a lot of Cronenberg movies. Yeah, I mean it was so loud. It was so graphic. and There were so many weird things going on. The characters were also like despicable and I just walked out of there. I was like, oh my God, like I can't believe I sat through that whole movie. And then when I figured out three days later that I was still thinking about the movie and I was like, I kind of turned a corner on some of it Mm. and I went oh this movie is actually good I felt like 
his intention was to assault your senses. Like that right. was the idea because he wanted like you to you're know, being like, in a traumatic accident. Like you're being in a traumatic accident, right? Mm. And whereas the other crash is just pablum. It's just formulaic. I have another Cronenberg film. From 1983? 1983, Dead Zone, Stephen King's book. Uh, Christopher Walken is the main character. Tom Skirrett and Martin Sheen as the bad guy. The story is about uh, a school teacher named Johnny Smith, who's a fairly young guy, getting married, dashes out to pick up a movie. I think he's running an errand in his VW Beetle. Uh-oh. And uh, it's a dark, stormy night. He's racing down the road, for some reason, wiping off the inside of his windshield to get the rain off. I think oh, that happens. Might have been Kevin's car. Oh, no, that happens to Beatles. <laughs> yeah. that, I carried a towel in my Beetle as well. There oh, you yeah. Go. The inside of the yeah, window. there you go. And uh, meanwhile, a little further down the road, a uh, truck driver dozing at the wheel comes to, flips over his truck. And it's a milk truck and a big milk trailer starts sliding down the road. Oh, the mustache that's about to happen. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Christopher Walken, it's funny because he, he hits a milk truck and his car explodes right. in flames <laughs> and no milk comes out of the truck. <laughs> and the beetle explodes front to back. Or sorry, no, it doesn't actually. Hang on, I'm getting the second Dead Zone mixed in. They made oh. a TV series, six six season TV series with Anthony Michael Hall playing Johnny Smith. Shot in Vancouver. Shot yeah. in Vancouver. And his car explodes front to back. The engine explodes. I don't know how exactly, yeah. but in the premise of the story is they both go into a coma six years, and when they wake up, their brain has found a short shortcut uh, because of damage to operate normally. Okay, and it passes through part of the brain that's called the dead zone, and it gives them precognitive oh, abilities. That's why it's called the dead zone. Right. And he touches people, and well, he he touches Martin Sheen. It's also because he can see. He can predict death and whatever right? yeah he, he's given um i think it's called psychometry is the ability to see the f things about objects by touching them mm -hmm. uh, martin sheen's character greg stilson is the vice president in or sorry in the film and when johnny smith touches him he sees the guy pushing the button right right the button launching and, and not with authority he's not gone the, mad not the clitoris <laughs> that's the right other button. <laughs> he's gone mad and he's devastating humanity so he's right. trying to stop it but the film was uh, it doesn't hold up does not hold up. I just watched it. It's oh yeah, it doesn't. But I, I do remember on Saturday Night Live they had that little skit with Christopher Walken, and he would whenever he would touch someone's hands, you're gonna be driving in your car. <laughs> you're gonna spill your coffee. It's gonna be hot. <laughs> be careful. <laughs> and that's it. That's the extent of his yeah. <laughs> gift. The most boring, you know, precog. Yeah. Instead of the dead zone, it goes to the annoying zone. Oh, yeah. oh, hot coffee. Oh, damn it. <laughs> If we asked you what the worst car accident you've ever seen would be, you know, it's that's it becomes a visceral thing more than you know my worst w would be not somebody else's worst. Right. One of the local gangs that was doing their initiation or had their their initiation set up a while back had uh, a kind of list of cars that new inductees had to steal in order. Oh, I see. Starting from really crappy junk, getting up to the better cars. That's interesting. So okay. we responded to a, uh, is it a Dodge Neon? Who made the Neon? Dodge, yeah. Dodge Neon uh, that had gone off the road and gone into a kind of a boggy area. It had gone off the previous night and no one had seen it simply because it was dark. So the water's neck deep and the okay. occupant of the car has been submerged up to his neck in water all night. He's dead. Very dead. Uh, we arrived and... So he passed the initiation. He passed, <laughs> uh, yeah. There was a baby seat in the back of the car. So we didn't know this is a ganger in the car. We didn't know anything about him. We pull up, see, you know, it's a crappy Dodge Neon with a baby seat in the back. We're thinking, oh, it's some young dad. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. We're just feeling awful. 
coroner's got to do their thing. So the guy sits there for several. He's dead. There's no rush. Let's not get anybody hurt trying to rescue a dead guy. So uh-huh. hours and hours go by before now we're going to do the body retrieval. And uh, myself and, and uh, a colleague suited up in our dry suits, climb down into this bog, go into the car. And unfortunately, only one person can take the body out. Just from space. Just ge- geographical right. space. There, yeah. there was no, mm. um, no, no room. room. So I had to put my arms around this guy who's looking at me straight in the face with his eyes open. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah. And he's frozen solid. Right. And uh, drag him out. And I'm falling, and he's landing, and he's oh. like, it's almost like kissing me because oh, I've got, a, I'm stuck with a stiff. Was he covered uh, in water bugs? Uh, he, everything was pouring out of him. And then we get him up to the road, and you know his pants had partly pulled down, and that's when the police officer said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Look at the tattoos. It's a, it's a gang guy." Oh, okay. So they flop him down, photograph the tattoos. I mean, being as respectful as possible on the side of a highway with a, a 24-hour almost dead body, and yeah. And then we realized this is what was going on, and suddenly we weren't quite so worried about the single father with the yeah i mean it's not my place to judge but uh i'm a human being and uh right so i I mean there wasn't much of the vehicle left and it was just the circumstances of going from really feeling bad to staring this guy in the face and i've i've had to carry bodies before and it it didn't really bother me i've carried body parts but um yeah just i guess this guy staring at me with one eye open and one guy one eye closed kind of thing so he's giving you the stink eye yeah and then kissing me and (laughs) (laughs) i have a bunch of youtube videos that are that are about how dangerous it is on those russian roads Uh, they're very visual so what i'll do is i'll include them on the post for this but it's not gonna be much for us to go and then there's this one where this happens Mm -hmm. there's there's another one where uh some guy in it's one of those uh, weird flat fronted uh Semi rigs, like it doesn't mm. have the big cab in the front, right, like the a cab, it's called flat. a cab over. Okay, and he hits. Uh, I can't even remember. Hits something else, comes to a dead stop. He goes flying out through the front windshield, flips over, lands on his feet, <laughs> and walks away, like yeah. looking. So he's like, "What?" It's the? amazing. He's he's used up all his inertia. Yeah. All the kinetic energy was consumed. He got so lucky, yeah, that and the amount of energy stops. to propel him through the windshield was enough to put him through flip him over slightly and then no more to make him even fall over yeah. like he's standing and walks away gymnasts after should be so lucky front yeah. on smacking something it's crazy yeah there's three guys by the side of the road 10 9.5 six from the russian judge six from the russian oh. judge Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while in an overturned car in a water-filled ditch. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes. Visit us on Facebook. Tweet us on Twitter at Caustic Podcast. Email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. Thanks for listening. If anybody has a chance to see Vanishing Point, A, it's a half-decent kind of car race, car action movie. And on top of it, it <laughs> you can hear some pretty wild stories about what it was like to shoot in 1970. Nice. Steven Spielberg names it one of his favorite movies of all time. Inspired uh, AI. <laughs> <laughs> Another car wreck of a movie. <laughs>